Welcome back to part 2 of our conversation with Professor Urjit Yajnik. You can find part 1 through the link in the description below. We hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, so long as there are newer and newer experiments happening, so long as we have domains that have not got explored, it is not going to be over. The day you find that your technology as well as your knowledge base is enough to do everything, that only then will science end. So now we want to, just to begin with, address a few cynical perspectives that a small fraction of the general public and unfortunately some educated professionals like take about theoretical physics. Um, it is that the field itself is not directly relevant to anything we do in our lives and, and that the work will seldom have any kind of direct application for the benefit or progress of society and Therefore, it's not worth the time, effort, or funding that it requires. So I, I know that, like, I, I've read some people like G.H. Hardy who said in his autobiography that fields like abstract math and theoretical physics that are so far displaced from our daily experiences, they're pursued primarily for the sake of intellectual reasons. So it doesn't matter whether the work has any applications at all. But as a professional, what do you have to say to such people who, who say that this is not a worthwhile endeavor? Yeah, so actually just to add to what you said, um, there is a New York Times cartoon, I think, uh, which is sometimes quoted where, you know, there is a street in New York and there is a person sweeping the uh, street and there is a baker and there is somebody and everybody is like in deep thought and the caption says, um, the world is beginning to contemplate the meaning of special theory of relativity or something like this. So, it is quite natural to question what is the relevance to common man or to uh, the society of this kind of intellectual developments. But I think that um, one has to recognize that uh, science, scientific discoveries have completely changed the landscape of our thinking about ourselves. So, um, at a time when people thought that there was a, um, there was uh, the celestial sphere, there was a sphere that was like painted or there are some things stuck on this, this sphere and that rotates around us. From there now we have opened up to the universe as a whole. And so the Keplerian revolution, you can say very simply put. Kepler's probe says, oh, the Earth and planets go around the sun instead of sun going around the Earth. So you may say, so what is the achievement? Well, it was a big achievement because people began to completely rethink about themselves. And, uh, you know, the kind of emotional debates that uh, quantum theory has generated because of the lack of predictability now and what goes on in the brain, whether the brain will, you know, that the brain is governed by quantum mechanics is bothering a lot of people. So these researches, um, you know, it's, it's like a whole ground be below you has shifted and you do not even realize it. It's difficult to understand that um, even the great Albert Einstein believed in a perfect everlasting Newtonian universe. The person who, with such intellectual uh, 
stupendously intellectual might achieve general theory of relativity was not able to accept the consequence of his theory of gen uh, did i say general relativity so uh, when hubble discovered the expanding universe einstein was shocked because and earlier on uh, alexander alexandrovich friedman this mathematician uh, wrote to him saying that uh, the solutions are expanding and recontracting kind of universes einstein more or less tried to ignore it and even tried to modify his theory to fit it uh, so so the kind of and if you just go a little bit further back people didn't know what galaxy was people nebulae nebula which are just large clouds in our galaxy and galaxies is a whole complete new uh, setup were not known before but now that they are known after the big telescopes came up in california in 1910 1915 the, um, uh, that has completely changed our perception of ourselves similarly radioactivity determined that the age of the world is almost 3 to 4 billion years and that changed people's mindset completely you know we we just woke up to the fact that uh, the human species doesn't exist just for 10,000 years or 50,000 years and, or a million years. So these time scales that uh, science has brought up to us are not uh, just um, uh, idle things. They have shaped entire civilization. Um, now there are a lot of people who still strike a compromise between certain things that they learn from their family values and so on. And it is difficult to reconcile the traditional family values or tribal values or your group values, whatever the level of the group, nationalism and so on, with the uh, understanding in science. But the two are interacting dynamically all the time. And it would be um, uh, incorrect to say that the one has no application to the other. So when people ask me, this question that you are pursuing something idle i try to point out that you are using today a fan an automobile a cell phone this electricity was an idle pursuit when faraday was trying to swing magnet in and out of a electric coil you know um, or when maxwell tried to put together the mathematical equations making them consistent it was some elaborate mathematical abstruse mathematical exercise i mean Maxwell didn't even have access to vector calculus, so he was doing some very elaborate uh, manipulations with symbols. This all may appear, but it led to electromagnetic waves. And I mean, we are not looking back from that even now. We are still cutting new grounds in it all the time. So what was done 50 years ago, 100 years ago, what mathematicians did, in the 19, in 18th century, 19th century, began to be used in quantum theory. And what we now do as quote string theory, thinking that it is going to solve our current problems, may become useful for something else in the future. So these are not uh, idle pursuits at all, you know. Um, so I think we have to explain to the public by giving example, especially of electromagnetism, which most people will understand that um, 
uh, it sometimes takes almost 100 years for it to become fully flower as a usable science. But that should not stop us from doing science. And the way we understand geology, geological timescales, the way we understand the weather, you know, it requires fluid mechanics, it requires all kinds of abstruse things. But um, even uh, people studied, you know, some unknown little insect in Tasmania. Well, ultimately, it all has uh, some effect because it ties up with so many other things. So I think that uh, makes the cynical viewpoint only very limited. And we, it is our duty to uh, convey to them what science has done for uh, humans, human society. Okay, so we need to be more explicit about the fact that these things require a lot more foresight and, and like a kind of generational thought. Like it's, it's not even if you that's don't say right. it now. That's right, right. So we just spoke about uh, one cynical perspective that most people, like a lot of people from the general public might take, but another set of strong opinions that people take, and this is probably more true of professionals, is that foundational physics itself has now stagnated and that all the low-hanging fruit has been captured in the golden age of Feynman or Schwinger. And of course, there are some great physics, quote-unquote, great physics has emerged, like uh, ADS-CFT correspondence and even dark matter, dark energy, all that. But, but do you think this viewpoint has any merit whatsoever that it's not a viable career option for someone who wants to be a successful researcher or something like that? Uh, I think it will remain a viable option for another 50 years at least. Because you mentioned dark energy. It has only been discovered. Nobody has an explanation for it. Uh, so... Maybe several of these issues, dark matter, dark energy, um, and quantum, the Big Bang itself, and as you know, the so-called inflationary universe, that the scale of universe is so large that it is difficult to understand it purely from point of view of gravity and uh, the laboratory level matter, I mean, the ordinary matter that we know. So there has to be some intervention of um, some kind of matter that is none of these. So without all, any of the, all of that, we uh, so all of those issues are not understood. And so the basic physics is going to continue to expand. And now so many um, astroparticle and cosmology experiments are active that uh, what they turn up, we never know, you know, on the neutrino front. Uh, gravitational waves are being measured. So what they may reveal about neutron stars, about nuclear matter. By the way, I always uh, try to um, remind myself and friends that elementary particle physics started as an offshoot of nuclear physics. It, ultimately, people wanted to understand the nuclear force. Just that the nuclear force per se has turned out to be people have given up because it is too difficult to actually provide a force law that would explain all the nuclei correctly. But maybe from deeper understanding of the quark-gluon uh, physics, we may get more and more control over the nuclear force understanding. So there are a lot of frontiers which are open and where both mathematical uh, developments and conceptual developments will continue to happening. 
So right now, I don't, of course, the threshold has become somewhat high. But as I say, in this American system, you are not forced to learn everything that was uh, earlier uh, done and discarded or uh, every technique that is under the sun known. But yeah, it, it does seem to be a bit forbidding because sometimes you don't know how many things have been already explored and discarded. So it's a bit harder. But at the same time, it will remain relevant for quite some time, I think. I don't think it is uh, about to shut shop anytime soon. Um, and I mean, there are so many things that we still have to explain. Like, I mean, coming back to like really old philosophical questions like the arrow of time and all of that. I mean, you, you say that for the next 50 years, at least you see that it's not going to be, become irrelevant. But like, what about these extremely fundamental questions? Uh, like, some of these questions that that you know, uh, people like really dismiss at this point. Uh, like, do you think that there will come a point where we 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 won't have any more use? Like, we'll have discovered all the theory that there is to discover. That's a very good question, and um, you know, I mentioned the uh, satellite-borne and astroparticle experiments. But uh, Europeans have already approved also an accelerator project. Even the Chinese have a uh, very ambitious accelerator project in principle in place, you know, ATTEV or some number like that. Um, really large circular ring. And Europe is developing its own. So even at the uh, collider front, um, there may be some new grounds that may be broken. Um, so, so I think these quite, so your question was, um, with, sorry, uh, it was about, uh, arrow of time you mentioned and what else? Yeah, no questions you? like those, uh, like we still have to answer and some people are dismissive of it because it's not yet hard science. Something yeah, like yeah. That. So what I would say is that, uh, so long as there are newer and newer experiments happening, so long as we have domains that have not got explored, it is not going to be over. The day you find that your technology as well as your knowledge base is enough to do everything, that only then will science end. But right now, these new uh, observational techniques that we are deploying, depending on what they keep turning up, we may continue to have new things to explore. So it is not going to stop anytime soon, in my opinion. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But but it will have to depend on newer things to play with. It it may even be playing with individual level atomic physics or you know creating materials for quantum computation. Any of these things, which are all challenging domains of experience. See, by domain, it doesn't mean you have to go to another galaxy. Even in this, in your laboratory, if you have not done a certain kind of configuration of matter and tested its properties, it is an open question. And so long as those remain open, I think that this kind of inquiry will remain open. Uh, in a way, you can say quantum gravity suffers because there isn't even enough evidence and there is nothing you can do as a controlled experiment to study it. But anything where controlled experiments or uh, explorations remain possible, 
the inquiry will remain open. Okay. If inquiry begins to be directed devoid of any clues, then there will be a problem, which is what Feynman used to worry about. Yeah. So, so um, yeah. just speaking a bit more about evidence, uh, people like they, I have this opinion. The school of thought has been gaining a little bit of prominence lately. Like you, you see people like this. The book Lost in Math that uh, some associates call Sabine. I think she's written about string theory and how even though there's no evidence, we keep spending billions of dollars on increasingly larger reactors. Like this is gaining prominence. So, and evidence is like crucial to science. So, so would you say string theory, although important and and really beautiful to look at and resolves a lot of problems in other fields, do you think it would be safe to call it borderline unscientific? Uh, so, you have to distinguish between the activity string theorists do and the um, verbal messages they put out. Okay. okay. I'm sorry to say I have a lot of string theory friends and whom, whose work I respect. Um, I think the problem of string theory uh, is that it did not give the kind of uh, un results or understanding that we expected. On the other hand, string theory has produced immense amount of uh, beautiful mathematics, as you say, and an understanding of quantum theory and clever approaches to quantum theory, uh, like topological methods uh, and use of very fancy mathematics to crack uh, quantum field theory. So uh, there are definite pluses because of which you cannot stop the, you cannot stop somebody from, you cannot tell string theorists you are wasting time. But the string theorists promised in 1985 that the end of all of quantum gravity is in sight within 10, 15 years. Well, I think they overestimated. So, uh, so I think there is no argument to say this endeavor should be stopped, even the very mathematical ones. Because pure mathematics has had its own track. And uh, eventually it has become useful because ultimately it is product of human mind. And we are deploying the same mental faculties and same cognitive faculties to understand the world. So if Kronecker or whoever, uh, or if Cauchy developed complex analysis, it may have looked very exotic at that time, but in 20th century, they were designing aerofoils using complex analysis, you know. So uh, these developments in mathematics, even when they are, quote, pure mathematics, even Mr. Hardy would, it may probably break his heart, but uh, his um, formulae may get used in some enumerative or combinatorial problems at some yeah. point, you know, in computer science or... Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there were... So, in fact, that is what I was trying to... Um, talk against the silos that were created by the end of 19th century's uh, European science and mathematics, that certain things were superior, that certain things were pure. Those silos are breaking and it is important that they keep breaking because I think okay. they all uh, have to talk to each other. So ultimately, uh, uh, I think the future should always remain an open thing. So I have this aphorism for myself. 
which is somewhat overstated, but it basically says, be dogmatic about the past, but be pragmatic about the future. By that, I mean that the experiences you already have and um, data and empirical evidence you already have, it is your duty to cast it in a theory. You must, be, you must have the intellectual wherewithal to put it in perspective, whether it becomes very mathematical or whether it, it is even stamp collection, but you must have that assiduity and acumen to put it together in an organized way. So that is what I mean by being dogmatic, not dogmatic, but it's just a catchphrase to say, therefore, you should be able to be dogmatic about the past. But for anything in the future, do not try to reimpose the same structure. Uh, tentatively, yes, maybe more things will keep fitting into the structure you already have. But you may have to forego everything and rethink afresh. So about the things that have not yet happened, you should be completely pragmatic. So be dogmatic about the past, but be pragmatic about the future. Is a good That's thing. a good way to remember it, yeah. <laughs> so we want to move into a more general topic now about how research and even learning should be approached, keeping one's career in mind. Hmm. So most researchers have one thing in common, like passion for the field that they're working in. But at the same time, their work is their job. So for someone working in research, should they focus uh, be on becoming a successful researcher by choosing to work on a problem that can give them high uh, citations or age indices, or should they be simply doing good research in a specific field that they're passionate about? Or both approaches are equally valid. So what's your personal view on this? No, I think I have heard several very high achievers uh, who have mentioned that you must pursue your intuition, your passion. Um, and uh, you may have to quote, make a compromise because these metrics like H index or publication rate and so on, they are demanded of you. And I think legitimately so. I don't, I, although they are, they sound like nuisance or they sound very mercenary. I think they are good to have because some metrics have to be there so that society understands where you where you are going or what is your value to at least even to your own peer group so it is a good thing that those metrics are there but i think you should try to remain compliant with it and follow your own passion now if remaining compliant itself takes away all your time well then you better give up your passion because Bread is more important uh, because if you will lose your position, then you will not be able to do either of them. This way, at least you will remain compliant and earn a living and you will continue to enrich science. So it may not remain completely to your fascination, but um, it will be continue, worth continuing to pursue. So, but I think the fundamental principle remains that you should pursue what interests you and engages you. Because that is when uh, you will really be able to engage with it with full energy. Okay. So like, similarly, uh, like we want to talk about from, from it from a student's perspective now. Does there come a time when we as students have to shift our primary motivations for pursuing research? from our innate curiosity about exploring questions to something a lot more strategic, thinking more about the prospect for discovery and being almost agnostic about our like, passion to the field or what 
problem like what field the problem itself comes under as long as our work has like potentially promising returns does there come a time when we'll have to adopt this whole practical attitude and, and what should we do if you find ourselves in, in this position i so at some point earlier i mentioned this kind of next threshold of maturity where you when you go to research um and when you develop a perspective on the subject i think from my personal journey and uh, having seen what uh, my peer group does i think there comes a point where those things fall away by themselves the non questions or the less important questions they kind of get relegated to the side on their own um you do not have to consciously say oh let me put aside uh, things that fascinate me because i now have to do this calculation it almost never happens like that you can yourself gauge that um, certain things that you thought were a curiosity appear to be less important or trivial or not non questions of some kind and certain other things you re- you begin to realize as you get into research is that there have been such a outstanding problems that you are not going to crack it by thinking about it for 5 months or even 5 years perhaps so you then put it on the back burner like rest of the community has done so there does come a time when you realize that it is good idea to um, join the peer group in what they are doing Uh, as the mainstream because and i think there is a certain logic to it because the peer group does consist of very bright people and who have come from many different backgrounds the very intensely trained ones the very innovative ones they are all there and if all of these people have decided that this x y or z problem is either not important or there are no productive approaches to it it is better to also put it on the back burner you don't have to switch it off but you certainly should put it aside because if you try to keep banging your head on it straight ahead you may not get anywhere um but i think that as i again said you should ultimately follow your intuition because maybe you have in the back of your mind actually hit upon how you will get that answer and it may be a 10 year project even that you get into um i again as by, by my own aphorism that i said about future you should never be too dogmatic so i would not be able to give you a dogmatic advice that set things aside or join the bandwagon either way because we know somebody like perlman you know this R- russian mathematician um gregory patel then gave up the fields medal and all that uh, this gentleman has just single mindedly worked on something without any compensations any great things you know no achievements in life no money more or less yeah, but i think he achieved something great so uh, it would be wrong to give very strong advice of any one type because we want to remain pragmatic about what is to come so uh, this actually happened to me uh, very early in my career as well because um, and you may put this clip somewhere else if you like but when i was uh, as a student trying to decide although i was very fascinated by elementary particle physics 
everyone, all my teachers and um, other senior theoretical physicists I knew from personal contacts and so on, said there are no jobs in particle physics and that you will starve. And they used to word very strong words um, and uh, sometimes even derogatory remarks, uh, how the hell will you survive in a subject like this and so on. And draw comparison to somebody very bright. So all of those things were there. And so I was really trying to weigh whether I should change my, this was an undergraduate day, so there was plenty of time to just shift. But I met one professor, in fact, in IIT Kanpur, um, who thought about it for some time and then said, you know, it will not be correct for me to give you any um, bulk advice. There is no standard advice for this. Because maybe you are one person who will make it into particle physics. Uh, he said the thing people are telling you is objective reality. There are very few jobs. And at that time in the 60s, particle physics was in some sense saturating because there was just plethora of data and no theory. Um, the new theories had arrived, but somehow in India, they had not got accepted very well, the standard model. So people were thinking that this is going to be like in the woods exercise, not with very any clear shining glory in the end. And so they were advising like this. But this professor told me that uh, maybe you will find the solution. So who am I to tell you to not pursue it if you have a lot of passion for it? And so I think in that spirit of keeping an open mind for the future, one should never give too strong an advice on anything. But uh, put across the objective facts that this is how it is, this is how the sociology of science is, this is how funding works. But now you decide what you want to do. So then you should follow your own passion about it. Okay, so essentially have an open mind, but also be careful. And like there is no right answer. You should them. be aware of where the realities are. And um, yes, you may be forced to make a compromise as well. Because uh, ultimately, uh, that is also, in life is important. So... Uh, but you should try to keep an open mind and do try to take your passion seriously, not to say it is uh, just a starry-eyed nonsense. Okay. But uh, if you are someone who, who is driven by your passion and you find yourself in such a position, then on a personal level, do you like what would be the wisest thing to do, like to try and develop a newfound passion for whatever it is that you are sort of being coerced into or, or what, what should people do? Uh, yeah, so this becomes a much larger, I think it's sort of a hypothetical question. When you get to that stage, see that way I think human mind is very uh, flexible. So I'm again jumping between subjective and objective answers. And my objective answer is that uh, human mind is flexible. Um, and uh, so I think you end up make the, the person ends up making the correct adjustment. I know some friends, for example, who after doing fairly serious theoretical physics, went into engineering, like I was saying in USA, 
the high tech industry was willing to take people with uh, high tech mathematical physics training or so on so i'm sure that they uh, made an adjustment in their mind and because they have flowered in whatever they did they did well after that so it is not as if it is um, a negative thing to readjust and how to readjust how you do it will probably come automatically uh, at that point so one objective again i mean going back to the previous question one of the other objective things to keep in mind is the peer group so when you quote follow your passion see we end up as scientists we end up getting a lot of um, very exotic proposals which we which uh, are really off the wall you know they are uh, neither here nor there but that person is very passionate about that particular idea now that that also is not a very desirable thing it is not a good idea to be stuck in a rut which is actually wrong so there are some people who will keep arguing about a wrong position um, and make it into quote essentially a political problem by shifting grounds by just going into uh, loops of for things that are, that cannot ever be settled and so on i think at that point a good compass would be to see what the peer group as a whole is doing and then try to reassess i'm not saying that you should automatically conclude that you are on the wrong track but you must give a if you are really getting isolated in your endeavors then you should try to uh, see the other point of view try to get a more honest response from your friends and peer group you know that is where sometimes uh, being at a conference and just having um, wine and cheese together or just uh, joining people for dinner together those kind of interactions may sometimes suddenly give you a perspective on what you are doing which are uh, not biased in any way and so you can pick up from those things also actually read the papers of what the mainstream is trying to think and what they are saying and then if somehow your idea is really being discredited in some way then i think it's a good time to move on so i would not say that while i'm trying to keep things open for the future there are actually some pitfalls which should be avoided and the best compass is uh, again the peer group which should not be jumped upon as a bandwagon but as a as a sounding board and to uh, to see where you you stand uh, would you say this is more true of some fields than others like would you say this is more true in theoretical physics than suppose no, ai no, research no. this has this thing has pervaded all the fields of exploratory uh, scientific exploration including antiquities um, you know uh, geology evolution theory in biology everywhere it happens that sometimes people get latched on to a false start and they are so fascinated by it that they sometimes end up making a political question out of it and this has happened too often in all the fields where there has been exploratory things of course um, 
in theological discussion also one can be stuck on a particular position but since theological positions do not have to be validated by independent evidence you can hold on to what you like but the lesson of science is that uh, you may get caught on the wrong foot if you take a particular position too strongly because ultimately it needs validation from science so in archaeology people have tried to falsify data in uh, sometimes knowingly sometimes unknowingly so falsify of course knowingly but sometimes stumble interpreted things wrongly so all those things have happened and in science also people sometimes miss uh, hints and uh, or interpret them wrong i think at the end of 19th century there was actually a it's a funny thing um, um it's actually a string theory of atomic physics you may find it i think even lord kelvin was involved with it that various configurations of how to lay out knots or string or something like that and it gave 17 possible solutions and today we have like 15 elementary particles so maybe only two more have to be found and it will fit the 17th so but he was completely on the wrong track and people stopped thinking about it the moment rutherford's atom and the radio all the real understanding of nuclear science began to emerge so one can be on the wrong track sometimes and one has to retrieve one should have the mental agility to retrieve oneself from it to take a more objective view of why you had passion for it and what is still worth retaining in it and so on Mm-hmm. I I hope I answered you. What was the yeah, question? Yeah. Do I no, I mean, yeah. So in a nutshell, basically, we can say that this whole success versus passion issue is a lot more complex than just you know one of one of the other. And like you have an algorithm to live by, like a dogmatic thing. So yeah, I think this no. definitely deserved a lot of like you need to have long yeah. conversations about. But it. the very simple summary I would say is that. Um, the what the peer group says and what the society at large is saying is a reasonable com- compass one should not be dictated by it at the same time it is a good thing to keep watching so uh, now we would like to talk about some less academic stuff more like your perspective on the education system in general so do you think there could be any structural changes that can be inculcated in the secondary education system secondary school education system itself that could make research a more popular or accessible option for kids uh, so there are two schools of thought one is that if you have to go for advanced research then it is better to go the more or less the current way we have where you in fast forward teach a lot of things but there is also the exploratory model of learning you know and i have been involved as a um uh, outreach exercise with an uh, ngo called eklavya which operates in madhya pradesh where they have developed science textbooks where you learn all of science by exploration in the middle schools so the explore and learn method of science may be useful but i think it may not be very useful for theoretical uh, advanced areas also even experimental developments have been so fast so one has to uh, achieve some kind of a blend okay so uh, 
like on that note itself like what are your thoughts on the education system in india relying so heavily on metrics so for example once entrance examination ranks or school grades uh, do you think that could be an accurate measure for just someone's abilities yeah i think the 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 assessment system should not become a big disincentive to studying Uh, you should not just lord only for toppers of mathematics or toppers of subjects and so on the school should try to bring out uh, the multifarious personality that we have and we know certain school systems wherein every child is allowed to become best in something one thing so that they have lot of uh, self esteem so assessment system metrics are just a shortcut because we have far large number of people to train and we are trying to achieve it in a short with less resources but i agree with you that it should not be too metric oriented it should be more education should be more broad based and bring out persons in it qualities all right so we are almost at the end of this uh, interview so we just want to ask you for do you have any final takeaways like what is one thing that the viewers should take away from this video what is the one piece of advice you you would say follow your passion okay all right so yeah that that pretty much summarizes the whole thing yeah. so professor rojit thank you so much for joining us today and and thanks for this wonderful session and thanks to our audience for tuning in we hope to see you all in our future episodes